Jason. Today's episode of the Lee Summit Town Hall Podcast is brought to the good people by Budget Blinds of Lee Summit. Budget Blinds! All right, I got some big news. Big news. Our good friends at Budget Blinds. They're good folks. Reason to celebrate. What are we celebrating? 20 years in business in Lee Summit. Has everybody been in business now for 20 years? I, I feel like it. I feel, you know, like our, it's our like big 2002. sponsor partners are, all, are both celebrating 20 years service in this community. It's well, pretty exciting. Here, let's let's make it let's make it patriotic. They rose from the ashes of 9/11 to open in 2002 <laughs> and they have served our community well this whole time. But congratulations to Budget Blinds on their achievement. Look, Jason, we've talked about it a lot. Not only are they our robot shade overlords, not only do they provide all of the window treatments and interior design stuff that you need to make your home the best home it can be, they're good folk and they do a lot of things to support our community. So we should all do our, our little bit and go support them. Go see our friends at Budget Blinds of Lee Summit as they celebrate 20 years of business. 20 years. Tell them Jason and Nick sent you. And then speaking of 20 years, it's also the 20th anniversary for Ask Kathy. Congratulations, Kathy. Ask Kathy of Keller Williams Realty. Jason, 20 years, over 2,300 families helped. They're consistently among the top tier of realtors everywhere. Five-star service. We just can't say enough. You can't say enough. And look, the market is still going. Like, And it's not going to do this forever. So like, if you are in the market to sell your home, Kathy is a person that you can go talk to right now. And I'm going to stay uh, with our theme of not only are they a great business in our community, they're doing really good things. Throughout this year while they're celebrating – they're giving money away. They are donating money and time to several local charities all throughout their celebration. So good people, good business, doing good in our community. What else could we want from a sponsor for our podcast? Nothing. Just tell them Jason Nick sent you. Hello again, and welcome to Lee Summit Town Hall, a weekly podcast about what you can do to make a difference. I am Jason Norbury, and as always... I am joined by a man who has survived the notorious road trip with a teen. Woo! It is Nick Parker, the publisher of Link to Lee Summit. How was your trip to Chicago, Nick? Uh, it was fantastic. And look, we make the jokes about traveling with the teen, but he was awesome. He had a great time. We did all the things that he's always wanted to do. So no, it, was, it, was, it was a good trip. And, and as, as you and everybody else knows, man, just taking a few days to get out of our own world Mm -hmm. So good. Yeah. So good for the soul. I'm, I, I have, I have sorely missed that so far this summer. I need to do that. And it was a, you know, it was a good, it was a good combination of, we took, we took kind of the first two thirds of the trip just for ourselves, just our little three unit, you know, three person family. And then we met up with some dear friends for the last couple of days and hung out with them and, and caught up. And that was awesome. That sounds like a perfect, perfectly lovely vacation to me, but you've come back to Lee summit and the link to Lee summit is the source for the news. All the news you need about this city and our unofficial sponsor today is units that's it that's all you get jason a few things well two topics i want to hit today the first one we don't talk about the county stuff much and there is there is a primary election coming up next week and and and, and we on purpose we don't talk about the county stuff a lot because we, we really stay hyper focused on on lee summit on as you say in the intro every week Backyard. What can we do in our own backyards to make a difference? But I think it's important that we do just take, let's take a few minutes and talk a little bit about next week's primary 
And just just there's a few things a few things of note as people get in. The first thing, let's reiterate what you brought up last week, Jason. Hey, everybody, go hit the Jackson County Election Board's website, jcebmo.org. Make sure you know, make sure, hey, make sure you've registered and then that you know where your polling place is. Absolutely. And, and I know we got our little notifications of where our polling place will, place will be for the I'm next excited, by the way. election. And uh, and so I was excited about that to, to receive that. I'm back at the Lee Summit Library. Oh, look at that. It's the new fancy one. There for you to go and enjoy the, the fanciness of that new library. But I will say, this, so you get that. It'll have your place of polling. If you have not received that, that's probably a good sign that you need to go check in to make sure that your registration is what you think it is and where you need to be to vote in the primary. Not only the primary, but the general election coming in November, which there will be some increased voter ID requirements for. And I'm sure we'll touch on that before the election, but that is a, a Missouri state law that's coming into effect at the end of August. So it will affect the, the general election, but we'll, we'll see that as it goes. But we, we thought we'd take a look. Look, there's a giant ballot. Honestly, there's a giant ballot because there's an insane number of candidates Listen, for some of these if races. You, if you, <laughs> if you have a friend, like if you have an acquaintance, you know them, chances are, I think it's about 80% that person is on the ballot. For Actually, it's like the old law school thing. It's like you look to your right and look to your left. And if neither of the two people on your right or your left are running for the Republican candidacy for the United States Senate in Missouri, odds are you are. Look, <laughs> <Right. laughs> like, first thing of note on the ballot, Jason, if, if you're if you're pulling the Republican ballot, there are 21 candidates for United States senator. No, I want to note that. Like, I, that's fine and all, and it's a primary, and it does what it does. But that means, like, if the vote gets divided fairly evenly, somebody's going to win the election, win that primary election with less than 20% of the vote of Republican partisans in the state of Missouri. Just run that through that for a minute and think about what that kind of does as all. It's a very weird process. Having that many candidates on the ballot really does have the option to dilute the vote share and, a great and, deal. And even if you were to to break that down a little bit and and look at the quote group of front runners, right? Yeah. That's still a decent size right, number. still like five or six That's of still them. four or six, right, of... Uh, uh, of candidates that you would call front runners right. for I that mean, we're seat. So seated, we're talking seated uh, federally elected officials, statewide elected officials, local celebrities, newcomers, folks, newcomers to the other thing, all kinds of people from all over the places. All of them are, are theoretical, you know, people that could be on that could win this election as a whole. And so it's it's something that's out there. So even that would be a pretty broad primary but when you tack on another 15 candidates on top of that it gets pretty thin pretty fast so it's just something to pay attention to but it's a lot of candidates so make sure that you if you know who you're voting for that you look very carefully on that list for those names as a whole another thing jason i think is it's just interesting and and again that's kind of what we're bringing up today is just some things of note things i think of interest to 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 watch um our missouri senator our senator mike searpoy that i can remember this is the first time where i feel like He's facing some real in-party challengers. Well, I mean, there's a, there's an actual primary, right? Uh, a contested primary that will be out there. Um, Honestly, you know, and as the the partisan demographic of that district tends to break, that's going to be the main decider. But this is the first time he's had, I think we could call it legitimate primary opponents um, since he's been elected. Honestly, since he was in the House as right. a whole, but um, as a whole, so that'll be interesting to see how that. And they are both running. Um, I would call them anti-establishment campaigns, um, you know, painting uh, Senator Searpoy as, as that because he is like 
you know, one of the leaders in the Senate for the Republicans. So um, that's out there. So that's that's just something that to, to pay attention to. And and then the last one on the Republican side is the uh, the local race, the sixth district county legislature primary on the Republican side, which traditionally was it had recently up until recently been held by Teresa Galvin, uh, who's not running for reelection for that. She's running for election as county executive, which has opened up that race. And there are a couple of uh, local names, uh, a former and a current city council member are running as well as the uh the spouse of the no wait he's that's running. a different district that's a different district altogether. There's another candidate in that race, but that um, those are the two I think most known names on that ballot are uh, Phyllis Edson and uh, Trish Carlisle, both uh, current or former city council members. Now, if you pull pulling the Democratic ballot for the primary next week, we only have still, ele- well, there's only eleven. It's still a big number running running for the Senate seat, but but it's 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 half. It's it's at eleven. Um, so th- th- that. I just I just wanted to note that I thought that was kind of funny to me. Uh, third district at large, you've got incumbent. This is county county for, for county legislature. Sorry, third district at large for the Jackson County Legislature. In the, you've got Tony Miller who has has held that seat for a while. He's got he's running against two opponents. One of those is currently Summit R seven school board member Megan Marshall, who is who is really throwing her name and working that one working that one hard. So that's going to be interesting to, to, to watch that. The winner will face, Jason, you, you hinted at this, the winner will, will face the, he's a newcomer and he's the husband of a city council candidate. And the last thing, Lance Dylan Schneider is running unopposed in that and that'll, that he will face then the winner of this, this Democratic primary. Yeah. And, and, and I will say this, there are no, um, as, as I have looked at it, there are no local lease summit ballot issues that no tax, no, like no bond issues, no tax issues, no um, initiative petitions, any so of those sorts of things. turnout will likely be really low. Turnout here. will be low. And it's a, it's a, I mean, it's a partisan primary. You got to go in and pick a ballot and, and do the thing. And there are other, and there's a libertarian and a constitution party and some others that are going to be on the ballot as well um, that you can go in and pick. But um, yeah, a turnout's likely to be low. Turnout may be low enough to make the turnout for city elections look impressive. <laughs> uh, as which is not a good thing. As a, hey, which is not a good thing, but uh, we, you are now armed. Go look at the pallet. You can go to Jackson County's uh, JCB dot or JCBMO.org uh, and look at the ballot for regardless of which one you want to pull to take a look at. And, and so you can prepare your votes accordingly. Okay. Jason, let's switch gears a little bit and let's go over to city council. <coughs> let's go over to city council. Last week, we did a little preview of the city council meeting and the presentation that they were going to have about the housing study, the latest housing study, which shows basically demand for multifamily and apartment building in in Lee Summit, and it talks about the current supply and all that. We did that. What we were looking forward to was the conversation. What questions did our city council members have? What did they? What was their response to 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 that study, Jason? It's been a week. What do we hear? Well, you know, I, I will say this. I, mean, I think I'm going to compare this. I'm going to go back five years in time and compare this to the council's reaction at the time to the study in 2017. And there was some significantly skeptical uh, responses by a number of the of the council members at the time. Um, to the the need, the demand that would be coming for for that kind of housing, for multifamily housing in the city, um, and and that we were 
it was largely absent that that skepticism was largely absent from the conversation this time, which is I think the thing that we were at least the tone that we were uh, like most interested in determining is like what that was out there. There were questions from a couple of our newer city council members who weren't on the council at the time of the last one, just I think to to get a little bit of a better understanding of what's going on and 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 those sorts of things is like you know talking about and i think one of the things that was the most interesting that was raised in or that was brought up by uh development manager ryan elam for the city is one of the things he talked about is there's been a shift over the last number of years in the economic development community about the sort of the chicken and egg thing of what drives what does do jobs drive housing or does housing drive jobs right and he he noted and i think the old school thought on the subject was that if you build if you put jobs in the community then the housing will come to fill it you know to to manage it will follow to manage it and what they have saying is that there's a lot more balance in that situation and to a much larger extent than was previously believed or at least sort of commonly thought housing helps drive the jobs by so having yeah i think i think right right was actually very specific in that and he said in conversations with our own EDC was that what they're saying now as employers, one of the biggest things they look at is does the housing already exist? Right. And do, and do we have access to the workforce that is denoted by the housing that you have to facilitate us bringing our, our company there to have people to fill those jobs or at the very least in the mix of all the things, the types of folks who are going to live in these places are the types of folks who are going to work for us or, or vice versa. Um, but it's, it's far more, it's honestly, it's sort of, it's even more of a chicken and egg riddle than was previously right. conceived of. In well, and, and I think that was an evidence of, and I'm going to use, use two of our, our newer council members as, as examples of this. Um, we even saw, Councilmember Andrew Felker and Councilmember John Level both coming at it from from different angles with their questions. You know, Felker was really coming at it more from from that angle of, of is the you know is the housing going to drive the economic development? And then you had you had Level come come opposite where he was wondering, you know, do we need to build the housing first, or or do we need to have the jobs come first and then build the housing? And and he was really focused on you know like what jobs are those going to be? That's got to drive the type of housing. That, that that we built. So it was, it's interesting to see those two perspectives as, as everyone tries to figure it out. I don't think there was any, and Jason, you, maybe you might have heard this differently, but I don't think there was any talk from the dais really where they were set, right? right. I think they were still trying, it was obvious they're all still trying to figure that out and what, what does the study mean? Well, and I think that there was, I think the study went out of its way to address some of the sort of stereotypical political concerns about building multifamily housing in terms of, you know, what's the demographics from a socioeconomic standpoint, right? Especially from an economic standpoint, like how what's their income levels and what's the educational levels and what are these people, what do these households look like to address those concerns up front to give the council members the information to perhaps be able to respond to the less you know, less understanding or perhaps more hysterical voices that can be voiced in opposition to multifamily housing. I think it's important to note that there was a little bit of that. There actually was a little bit of that from the from the dais. There was one one council member who talked about if we build this, we should hide it. True, but I mean, as a whole, that's but that but to even to just understand those things, it's like say these are the kinds of apartments that are being built 
are requiring incomes that are in line with the median income in our community. Like it's not making us richer or poorer. It's more of a given where we are as an economic community, this is the kind of housing that these, you know, we're building housing for these, those kinds of people to come in to, if you want to use it in these terms, further enrich our community because they're, they're, they're not going to drive a, a completely different set of wants and needs than the community we already have built. Right. Right. So I, I think, Jason, as, as, as we said when we set this up last week, this is going to be an, an ongoing conversation. And you and I are kind of looking to explore who our next guests are going to be as we as we dig into that. And also just, just kind of wait and see what the council's reaction, their conversations are as some of these new projects come before them right. to see what the next builds are going to be. Well, and that's and the question will become then, I think, you know, like how do they – because we know this for a fact. First of all, almost all of these developers, because as as Ryan Elam noted, you know, these apartment projects are fifty million dollar projects. These aren't like it's not like a guy building a house. Right. Um, it's a huge economic development project which requires a lot of investors and all kinds of financing and all the things that come into it. So they're complex things and so they're going to be very well market studied. So they're going to come armed with not only their own studies that they have done to get the numbers that they need to make this project work, but they're going to come waving this study in front of the city council to say, Hey, look, we are filling an, a real live expressed need here to do that. And so it'll be interesting to see how the council responds to that. Because I thought it's one of the things that I saw in 2017 is there was some real resistance and skepticism on the, on the validity of the study. Yes. Even in the face of market demand, like the, the, the developers came and said, yes, we need these things. And we built, you know, 1600 units over the, over these intervening five years. So there's, there's obviously this demand is something that's out there and it's an ongoing thing and we'll need to deal with it, but it'll be interesting to see how the council responds. Cause I don't think this made, you know, Phyllis Edson, who has been, a, I think a fairly consistent skeptic of multifamily housing projects in the city. I don't think this has like turned the corner for her or shine the light and she suddenly sees things radically different, but it may change the way that she addresses this and. And dealing with the, you know, like, how does it fit in the community or whatever those other questions. It may change the questions that are being asked rather than, you know, say someone's going to, it's not going to necessarily move someone from the, I was again it, now I'm for it. Right, right. Well, as we, as we wrap this up, let's, let's, let's do what we really like to do, Jason. If, if you are a resident, you're a business owner in Lee Summit, how can you make your voice heard to your council members as, as, as we see these conversations get engaged? Well, I mean, I think that that's, there, there's something to be said for, you know, in an ideal world, it would take a lot of the pejorative statements out of circulation. Okay. I think there are legitimate questions to say is there's, there's legitimate differentials to say, to ask questions about like, how many people we want in the city? Do we want the coming acreage to be primarily devoted to industrial or commercial or other property like that? And a little bit less of a focus on residential. So we grow a little bit less. And they had that discussion there. The population growth estimate used in the study was way more conservative than the population esti growth estimate in the comprehensive plan by like half right um of of a difference in growth so there's something to be said and so there's a conversation that i think as a city we can have about how fast we want to grow or how big we want to grow over time there's conversations about 
you know, the comprehensive plan or the planning process about where we want these different types of housing to be, how we want them to interact with this, you know, walkability and all the other questions that we want to deal with. There's all kinds of questions to go through about that. The question isn't, you know, we don't need, and, and I, and I hate to throw people under the bus here. Okay. I don't hate to do this, but this is not necessarily where we typically, there doesn't need to be people going in and, 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 you know, doing the pejorative classes screaming about, you know, subsidize this and other that, and this is never going to work in the market. It's like, look, nobody's investing $50 million for a project they think is going to fail. That's, right. That's not how this system works. So like when they come to the table, especially the projects, and I think this is the one that I'm most interested to see is does this impact the cities knowing we have this need, does this impact the city council's like stance in any way on incentives and development incentives and what have you for these projects as they come? We've had a number of them come in, request nothing, maybe other or at the very minimum, just the sales tax exemption to do the building or what have you, but they're not asking for TIF or what have you. Does this harden the city council to be saying, no, we know this is needed, so the market's going to provide it? Or does the city council come in and take a different take? And they say, well, we need this, so we, we really want it to be in these ways, and we're willing to incentivize if it goes the way we want it to go. I don't know the answer to that, whether what they're going to do, let alone if the what's the right answer on that particular project. But it's a decision that the city council probably needs to start thinking through, and, and we'll see. The next project is coming. I'm certain of it. And we're going to see how that goes. Right. I, and I think we'll, we'll summarize that real quick because I think those are three really, really good points. I think, you know, the question of question of type of development that we want we want to see in the future because there's a, there's a lot of acreage coming, coming in. Um, you know, do we want to focus more commercial or residential or do we want to balance? How is that? I think we will forever have the question, the chicken and egg question of does do jobs drive housing or does housing drive jobs? The answer is probably yes. <laughs> right. Exactly. And then I think, I think that was uh, the incentives – piece of it that links in there is going to be interesting because we have been for the most part very very much a community that doesn't doesn't include a ton of incentives for residential but will that change will that will that change based on what not only what the study says but in the response to the study right and then there's there's a good argument there's good arguments to be had i think on both sides on that and at least ways to look at it to help inform decisions that are being made as we go and so i'm hoping at a minimum, that this impacts this study has an impact on the type of the conversation that not only the council has, but the people have with the council so that, that we have a better conversation with the council when people are concerned or have or have issues with a development going in near them or not near them for that matter. How is that going to impact that conversation and make that a better conversation that's more productive for our planning commission and our city council? So if you've got opinion on those topics, on any of this as it comes in, you can go to the city's website, cityofls.net, email, call your city council member, let them know your thoughts, show up at some of these public hearings, make your opinions known. That's going to wrap us up for this week, Jason. We'll talk to everybody next time. 